Hi, this is Bron Burton and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Good morning. It's two minutes past nine. You're tuned to 102.73 triple R. You may be listening via rrr.org.au. This is Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name is Bron Burton. And my name's Dr. Beach. How are you, Dr. Beach? I'm very well this morning. How are you, Bron? Yeah, pretty good. Heading into winter. It's uh, nice and chilly. It's lovely. I like it too. I like it too. Hey, uh, thank you very much, Tim Thorpe, for uh, six hours of Vital Bits, three hours of Vital Bits today. Wonderful, wonderful programming as always. Uh, And also thanks to Andrew for Soulful Bits, Edith for Things to Do Today and wonderful musical treats with Justin Bernasconi. How lovely was that? It was. And nice to hear from Andrew a bit about um, Bob Dylan. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you who are listening at around 8.15. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can catch Tim next weekend, as always, for more Vital Bits, both Saturday and Sunday mornings. We've got a great program lined up for you, as always. Uh, we're going to be shortly on the phone catching up with Rachel Parker. She is the founder of Ocean Mind. It's a charity that provides therapeutic surf programs and uh, services for young people aged 8 to 18 years old, experiencing mental health challenges, social isolation and disabilities. So we'll be speaking with Rachel about their upcoming fifth birthday and um, and their work with young people experiencing disadvantage and some of the great benefits that that brings. Uh, be very interesting to talk to um, Rachel, is it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then after that, um, listeners... Oh, sorry. I was going to say before we go to that because I know what you're about to say um, we're going to be also crossing oh, Elodie, to, uh, to Elodie. Right. Yeah, yes. Dr. Elodie Campras from Deakin University. She's going to bring us the latest news on the anticipated arrival of the giant spider crabs. They can't be far away. Usually, it's in early June. Uh, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, when we were speaking with Elodie, we were talking about iNaturalist, which is basically a, a great way of Deacon being able to hook into some citizen science observations, people kind of sending their uh, their observations through to iNaturalist. So we'll catch up with her about that. And also these cameras that they've popped underneath a couple of piers to, uh, to you know, get a bit of a glimpse. Yeah, a bit of a sneak preview of what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Right, over so you, that, Dr. Beach. Yeah, so that's LD. And then after that, um, we've got a couple of students on, third-year students from Deakin University, Amber Burry and Sean Burnicle. Um, we do this every year during pandemic. We didn't have it one year, but third-year students who prep a, a piece on the marine environment and then come onto live radio and talk about it. And this year we're very excited to have Amber and Sean who are going to, to look at um, the effects on the marine environment of the devastating floods that we've had in New South Wales, in Queensland recently. We all know the, the effects on humans and, and just how terrible it's been but um yeah they've unpicked done a little bit of research on what the effect might be on the marine environment and the animals in that environment and then later on depending on how long we um we chat to, to amber and sean for i've got a couple of papers bron um one i'm very well both of them i'm very interested in um the first one is about a very common sunscreen which is called oxybenzone we may have heard about that there's been a lot of um a lot of data in the last 10 years showing that it is harmful to corals as well as potentially other marine organisms. Um, a very interesting science paper has come out recently unpicking the mechanisms of why oxybenzone might be toxic. And in fact, they've used an anemone and a coral to do these very interesting experiments and have shown um, that it converts it to 
both of these organisms convert this to something which is phototoxic. So, mm. yeah, I'm picking that. And um, if we have time, my favourite organisms in the ocean, of course, are phytoplankton. You know, they've brought um, another wonderful paper in Nature modelling what will happen with a large group of phytoplankton, which are called the diatoms. Diatoms have glass shells around them, silica. Um, they've shown in this modelling paper that with increasing acidification of the ocean, there's going to be a harder job for diatoms to grow their shells again uh, because of um, silica and dissolution rates as we go down through the water column. Yeah, unpick that later um, later on the show. They'll be um, closing it off. Excellent. And what that means too, the flow-on effects across... Well, the diatoms account for, we think, about 40% of ocean photosynthesis. And when you think that that ocean photosynthesis accounts for half of that on Earth, this is like a quarter to a third of the world's total photosynthesis. That is, every third breath of oxygen that you take, we can thank the diatoms for. We don't want them to be in trouble. Unsung heroes of planet Earth. Yeah. Mm. In fact, I heard a song on PBS, our sister station, if you like, um, on What the Folk a few weeks ago. And it's the first time I've ever heard the word diatoms mentioned in a song. Ah. I texted Susie Lang- Lanigan and I said, that's fantastic. <laughs> awesome. It's a song about Scotland. Wasn't Mal Webb, was it? No, 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 it wasn't Mal Webb. I'm trying to remember the name of the person, but it was um, Sikar Point was the name of the song. Oh, cool. Yeah. We must play that. We must play that. And I want to go to Sikar Point. <laughs> I'm going to Scotland in August. I'm very excited. I, w- I want to do a live broadcast from the Orkneys. Oh, yeah. I'm up for that. <laughs> a phone-in from the Orkneys. Yeah. It might just work. I was talking with a buddy about that last night. It's a crazy idea, but it just might work. It's a crazy idea. Hey, uh, not such a crazy idea, but let's do it anyway. Do you have a forecast of the weather? I do. Very uh, important. Yeah, mostly sunny today. It's going to be a pretty nice day, 15 degrees, chilly, maybe a sprinkle of rain around. Tomorrow's looking um, wet bronze, going to be up to 10 millimetres of rain here in Melbourne, 12 degrees, minimum of eight. Uh, windy with showers on Tuesday, 12 again, maybe, well, yeah, up to five mil of rain. Um, not so much rain on Wednesday and Thursday, but kicking back in again Friday up to 10 mils. But in short, it's going to be chilly during the week. Uh, maximums of around 12 or 14 and minimums of around 6 or 7. If you're heading out on the water today, you'll be wanting to know what's happening with the tides. Uh, next high tide at Point Lonsdale is at 11.38am. Um, I guess we often take for granted, Bron, that we can predict the tides because we have one single moon. Imagine if, imagine if we were on Jupiter with 80 moons mm. trying to predict the tides. <laughs> Conversation over a beer with a buddy the other week. Imagine if we were on Jupiter. Couldn't do it. <laughs> Lucky imagine, we're not. The, imagine the algorithm you'd need to predict the tides for that. <laughs> All over the shop. What a great conversation. Yes. Lucky we're not on Jupiter. Lucky we're not on Jupiter. <laughs> Uh, we've got um, I've got a couple of bits of news, and all of this actually has come from Triple R listeners. One, I'm going to start with this one because it's um, the most recent one. I will get to the others, but this one is uh, Farm Sharko as a listener today. But you will know Farm, of course, because she's an uh, uh, integral part of the Radio Marinara team. Sent through. Um, a photo and some video footage of a sea turtle spotted at Ricketts Point. Now, I was aware of this and I don't know if it's the same turtle or maybe there's a second one because Neil Blake is going to be on our program next week and talking about this, that there has been the rescue of a, a turtle, yeah. I think a green turtle. Very, very, very unusual to see green turtles, which of course <laughs> sure are from Queensland yeah. in Port Phillip Bay. Where's the coral? <laughs> yeah. This turtle 
the video footage filmed by Michael Anderson yesterday, which Farm has sent through, looks pretty healthy. And looks like a green turtle. It does look like a green turtle. So uh, anyway, we will follow this one up and thank you so much for sending that through. Um, but yeah, exciting stuff when we're getting turtles in the bay. Not so exciting considering we're about to be plunged into winter and not the greatest of... Uh, well, and also not so exciting when you think of the reasons behind this as well. Why do we have warm water species coming down south? Yeah, exactly. Um, Dallas Goldberg sent through this a couple of weeks ago. He's actually just sent through another one as well. I might have to get to this one next week, Dallas. Dallas is a, providing a great source of news for us. This is this relates to um, – it's a story from uh, from Miami – Balloons fell from a yacht into a bay and it led to an arrest and $25,000 in fines. Ten people and companies were fined more than $25,000 in total after videos surfaced showing dozens of balloons being popped during a yacht party. So this relates to some legislation in Florida with um, with balloons being banned and this yacht owner was made to pay. Fantastic. So... Good news out of the US. Yeah. There's more to this story, which I'll look into, and I think we should follow this one up because it, it's it's something that – it's a, a belief I've held for a very long time that, you know, we release these balloons into the air. Really, they're plastic, aren't they? They, they come oh, down somewhere. absolutely, and things that are attached to them. But we have – we do have legis- – correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought we had legislation here now where it was – you're not allowed to release helium-filled balloons. There's, there's a whole lot of – complexities around this but yeah definitely something we should explore further yeah anyway i just wanted to mention that one uh twenty five thousand dollars for some balloons at a party well rightly so yep um another one that came through to us from christine thank you christine uh this one made some mainstream news this week and i'm really hoping we might be able to follow up with an interview with lisa blair who is a solo sailor she's just broken the antarctic circumnavigation record so she's actually done this before a few years ago um, but during the week arrived in albany after three months at sea with a new world record to her name how amazing is that she sailed around Antarctica <laughs> and claimed the world record for fastest unassisted circumnavigation. She completed the journey in 92 days, 10 days faster than the previous record holder. So, Very adventurous. Incredible. That's all I can say. apparently taken some water samples along the way as well. So I'm really uh, keen to find out more about what that was all about. Okay. Um, but yeah, her vessel named Climate Action Now, decorated with positive climate actions submitted by the community. And throughout her journey, she's collected microplastic samples and meteorological data to assist with global weather monitoring. So congratulations to Lisa Blair. And uh, yeah, let's look forward to having her on the program at some point, Dr. Beach. Yeah. That would be pretty amazing. Now, Ocean Mind is a charity that provides therapeutic surf program services for young people aged 18, 8 to 18, experiencing mental health challenges, social isolation and disabilities. Over its five-year journey, Ocean Mind has conducted 187 therapeutic surfing sessions for 140 people. Their sessions support participants to develop life skills and improve their well-being through an evidence-based surf therapy approach. To tell us all about Ocean Mind and the amazing work they do, it's with great pleasure. We welcome to Triple and to Radio Marinara, Ocean Mind founder and director, Rachel Parker. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Welcome to Triple R and to Radio Marinara. Um, Ocean Mind, first up, happy birthday, five years. Yeah, I know. It's exciting. It's, um, yeah, quite a, quite a great um, accomplishment for, um, for the organisation and also for the community that, that help us um, run. Can you tell us about where it all started for you? Where did you get the idea for, for running a program like Ocean Mind? 
Well, I've um, I've got a youth work background, and um, and I've always been interested in using outdoor therapies and at the outdoors as a therapeutic tool for young people. And um, it wasn't until I was thirty, and I learned to surf myself that I um, that I really kind of grasped the idea that surfing could be used as a therapeutic intervention. And so, um, I did some research around the world, and there was a project called the Wave Project in the UK, and they've been doing surf therapy for um, eight years. And so, I contacted the CEO Joe, um, and he was really keen to help us out and see if we can get surf therapy here in Australia. So that's how it all began and from then it's grown um, and built into, um, into Ocean Mind and the model that we run today. Now we've been covering the work of Disabled Surfers Association for many years on this program. I'm guessing a question that some of our longer term listeners might be wondering is how does your work differ from what DSA does? Yeah, well, DSA do amazing work and some of our volunteers around Ocean Grove go down to um, their sessions all the time because they do such great work. Um, I guess what we do is a little bit different. We run a six-week program um, and over the course of the six weeks, each young person is matched one-to-one with a mentor um, and they learn to surf, but they also build um, a sense of, uh, like, a relationship with that mentor and they also build a sense of community with that group that they're working with. And after that six-week program, the young people then um, join our surf club which is ongoing support for as long as they want it um it's it's um yeah it's a fantastic ongoing program where where young people yeah are supported um throughout sort of that life journey or that that youth journey um and rachel where do your mentors come from are they all locals do they all live down where you run your programs and where do you run your programs so our programs are run down at Ocean Grove, Anglesey and Warrnambool at the moment. Um, and so our, all of our volunteers come from the local area, but we also, especially down in the surf coast, have a lot of people from Melbourne that come um, join the, and become volunteers and come down and support us um, You know, every weekend. They drive down, do the drive from Melbourne down to Torquay and spend the weekend down here as well. And uh, have your programs evolved over... So five years is a, a long time to be running this, which is uh, really fantastic. How, how have the programs evolved over that time? Well, um, it's been it's been such a fantastic journey. Um, we started out in Torquay, Main Beach, with um, a group of eight volunteers um, and a small group of kids, and we were we had no employees. We were all just volunteers and really passionate about what we were trying to trying to make happen and, and get sort of mental health support um, for young people. And now we have um, you know a team of ten um, staff members uh, working together to support um, up to a hundred young people a year. So. It's really grown um, and, and changed and evolved and, you know, we've really put a lot of emphasis on making sure that we have got the young person at the centre of what we do as we've grown as well. Rachel, let's talk to Beach here. Fascinating program. Lovely to hear about the great work you're doing down on the surf coast. It's sounding like it does cost a, a bit of money to, to, to run this. Do you get assistance from the NDIS grants from the government to help you run this program? Um, we uh, we usually or we traditionally have been funded by um, philanthropic funders. So we've got some fantastic funders in the Geelong region. We have a great sponsor in Geelong Ports, um, as well as um, you know Give Where You Live, the Anthony Costa Foundation, the Newsboys Foundation. There's so many different philanthropic organisations that really kind of support us and understand what we're trying to achieve and um, and have been ongoing and long term supporters. Um, we also apply for for grants and do fundraising events. And and, um, and, and yeah, um, raise funds any which way. <laughs> yeah. Um, what happens after your participants finish the program, Rachel? Do they tend to continue with their surfing? 
Yeah, so we have a lot of, we have about a 70% uptake into our surf club. So that's the young people finishing the six week program. 70% of them will continue on and join our surf club and continue surfing through that. Um, we also have an opportunity for young people once they turn 16 to become peer mentors as well. So that's really sort of changing that, that self identity for young people and giving them an opportunity to give back and to share that passion that they have in, of surfing with another young person as well. Yeah, it's taking that concept of kids teaching kids into kids Mm. mentoring kids which is kind of next level isn't it really it is it's fantastic yeah um can get pretty chilly down there do your programs (laughs) run all year round um no um we do take a break in june july and august it is gets just that little bit too cold and it takes a bit of the fun away from the program so um It's just, yep, yeah, we stop then, but then we're back up in September and it's still a bit chilly then, but um, we push through. I'm keen to hear um, some of the stories, I might be putting you on the spot here, of just of some of the young people who've taken part in the programs and what, what the experience of surfing has done for them. Do you sort of have any real highlight moments, obviously not identifying people, but any real highlight mm. moments in, in, your, in your thoughts? Yeah, we've got, I mean, so many young people get so many different things from the program because we are able to give that individual response to each of them. But a couple of stories come to mind. Like, I guess one of my favourites is we had this young girl that had experienced quite significant trauma um, and she had become really disconnected from her family and really disconnected from friends. She didn't want to go to school. She was quite down, quite depressed and really low. Um, And she came along to our programs and she started surfing with us. She was a bit apprehensive at the start but she really connected well with her mentor and um, after that first session I was on the beach and her mum was in tears and she turned around and said to me that was the first time I'd seen my daughter smile in over a year Mm -hmm. this is the most fantastic day Um, and for me that really sums up some of the stuff that we're able to do it's not just that um, they're creating relationships they're getting outdoors but it really it's that fun aspect and that smile that is you know really world-changing for young people when they are experiencing mental health challenges. Um, So that's one of my really favourite stories and almost makes me cry every time I think about it and talk about it. But there's also been... Sorry. No, I was going to say it's huge. Go on, sorry. Mm. Um, There's also been other ones more recently. Um, We had a young boy that had come down to the program and he, um, he again, was also quite... Um, apprehensive about coming down um, but we worked with him before the program started um, you know we spoke to his parents we spoke to his um, him and um, and got him connected with his mentor um, online before we actually got them connected down at the beach um, and through that he was able to to get past that anxiety that he was feeling and come down to the beach and he had a fantastic time and at the end of it he said I forgot how to have fun with others and I and and this program has shown me and you guys have shown me how to to have fun again and how to be around other people. And this is obviously post-COVID and post all the lockdowns. and he said he was stuck in his room and he felt really stuck inside the house and in the room out of fear and anxiety. And this is something that really helped him open his doors and, and, and open and get outdoors again. So um, so that's a really um, great experience for him um, and something that we hear a lot as well from the young people, especially now and over the last sort of six months we've had. Rachel, yeah, very beautiful stories. I'm also wondering, I, I would get a little bit of anxiety. I actually can't surf to my embarrassment. I can't get up on a board. Do you... Can, People have the option of boogie boarding if they don't feel like they can actually be standing up on a proper board. Well, 
all they I mean the the whole aim of the program is not about surfing yeah, and standing yeah, up on yeah. the board. It's all about um you know just working through where your levels at and yeah. just having fun. So, yeah, we have young people that come down and they just lie down on the board and they catch waves on the belly and they're happy with that. Some yeah. kids just come down and build sandcastles <laughs> and that's totally fine as well. We never sort of push to have to stand up or or that surfing is that the the goal that's you know the goals are set with the young people of where they want to be. Yeah, perfect. That's that's excellent. Now, this uh, coming Friday, third uh, of June, you're having a celebratory event at the Geelong Library. This is to mark your fifth birthday. Can you tell us a little bit about what's in store? That's correct. Yeah, we have. We're so excited to finally be able to do this. Um, we um, we are celebrating our five years. Geelong Ports has sponsored us for the event, which is fantastic as well. Um, and so we've got on the night. We've got um, some speakers. We've got um, a family speaking about their experience. We're also I'll, I'll be going through the story of Ocean Mind, and we have um, an amazing speaker, Massey, who has um, decided to share his story. Um, he's a um, asylum seeker that's come to Australia and he's learnt to surf and found healing through surfing so he's sharing his story on the night as well. Um, We're also going to have it as a bit of a fundraiser so there'll be some amazing prizes um, for a raffle and also an auction being called on the night Um, and we've been really lucky to have one of our local auctioneers um, uh, from one agency, Sean, coming down and being the auctioneer for the night. Fantastic. Where do listeners go for more information, Rachel? Um, if they want to find out more, we have on our website, um, there's the ticket link there and also on all of our social media, um, so Facebook and um, Instagram. It's just Ocean Mind Inc. on both of them um, to search for us. Excellent. We'll put links to that on our Facebook page uh, and uh, anyone listening can, can check that one out. Uh, happy birthday again. Congratulations. And, yeah, wonderful work that you and Ocean Mind do. Uh, we look forward to catching up with you again. All right. Thank you so much for having us. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Rachel. Bye for now. Thanks. Bye. Rachel Parker there from Ocean Mind. Very interesting program. Is it doing wonderful things by the sounds of it? Definitely. Oh, where are the giant spider crabs? They've only arrived in drips and drabs. They were due in June on the strawberry moon by their thousands appearing by the pier. Let's hope this year isn't fallow. May they soon festoon every bayside shallow Next full moon high to our shores and coves Let leptomithrax gaimadii come a-scuttling in droves Oh yeah, thanks to Mel Webb and Kylie Morgan. <laughs> it's, one, it's, it's really good to have that. That, that ready to go, ready to hit play whenever we speak to Elodie. <laughs> that little pizzicato that uh, Kylie does with the... Can you just picture the little spider crab scuttling? I just love it so much. Anyway, without further ado, good morning, Elodie Compress. How are you today? Good morning. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Um, thanks so much for joining us again to give us a an update on the spider crabs and where they're at. Um, should we start with that? How, what have the developments been over the last couple of weeks, if any? Sure, yes. Um, actually pretty exciting and perhaps unexpected. Um, there, whilst there haven't been much in on the Mornington Peninsula, um, there have been sightings from the Bellarine Peninsula of an aggregation there so yeah it's um i guess the data that we had uh, in the past sort of four or five years to the last to believe that they you know pursue the the mornington peninsula but uh yeah in fact they might also um 
yeah, like to hang out on the Billarine. So that's, that's good is, to know. Elodie is Dr. Beach Yes, we're, we're used to seeing them on the um, on the Mornington side of the bay, off the piers. Now, I know you're not going to give the, the exact details away, but, yeah, very interesting that we've seen them on the other side of the bay, over on the Geelong Bellarine side, somewhere around there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So let's see if um, at the moment there haven't been any reports of molting per se. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how that develops. But for us, um, the science team, we're getting ready to put uh, little acoustic trackers on spider crabs. So report of any molting are very important for us. So we have the um, spider crab watch program and people can log sightings there and they can put the location as private um, so that, you know, the crabs, the locations of the crabs aren't revealed and they're not disturbed. So... So my next question was around the cameras because when we caught up with you a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned that there were a couple of cameras that were being set up on two piers in particular on the Mornington side of the bay. Are they still in situ or have you kind of given up or have you moved them across to the Bellarine? No, they, they are there. So um, we haven't moved the cameras because um, we didn't really know whether this aggregation was going to stay and also because the cameras are deployed on on the pier on on the pylons um it it's an easier setup on the on the mornington peninsula but look there have been a few sightings at blagory just not not necessarily at the pier but what so if we don't capture the the spider crabs on cameras we might still be able to capture the predators that are around and and compare that with um sort of rye for example where we don't think there have been any sightings um so it still give us an indication of sort of what's around even if you know the cameras don't capture the spider crab per se uh Excellent. Yes, of course, those predators, some amazing footage taken in previous years of rays in particular. Yeah. And, and Elodie, you mentioned a little while ago something about, well, just a few minutes ago, aquastic chuckers. I'm not sure if you, that's exactly the expression you used, but if did you? And, and what is that? Yeah, so they're little devices that sends, send a, a ping or a signal, um, and we have listening what we call listening stations throughout the bay. So if a spider crab comes near that has a tracker, it will um, uh, detect it and log the information, and that way we understand the movements of the spider crabs after the aggregations because we don't know where they come from. We don't know if they just hang out in the bay or if they come from Bass Straits and they have to cross the heads. And so, yeah, that's one of the things we're really interested in finding out with so, the acoustic tagging. So you have some spider crabs which have already got a tag on them which will be picked up by these acoustic receivers? Not at the moment. So no. we're waiting on uh, molting. So the right moment to tag the spider crabs will be after they've molted and right. they harden their new shells, because uh, then they'll keep the tags on for a while. Yeah, like we, if we're tagging now and they're molting, that defeats the purpose. Yeah. But yeah, so hopefully then they will have the tags on for for a little while. You know, maybe I don't know up to a year if they are molting the next season. But um, and we'll get you know good um, good information about the movements. Uh, one last question. We'll let you go, Elodie. If if the, if you do, I suppose this is one for down the track a little bit, but I'll ask because it's in my mind now. If you 
put one of these little trackers on the spider crabs and it gets eaten by a ray, <laughs> will you get little pings hopping up? Because rays are going to move a lot faster than spider crabs. Are you, are you expecting that they'll still be functional if they're inside the belly of a ray? Oh, that's a good question. I, I wouldn't think so. Um, but I'm assuming they will be anyway excreted um, yeah, true. quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, well, you'll know that information too because it'll Stop. zoom around a lot and then stop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Elodie, thanks so much for your time. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. We'll um, catch up with you next week and on a, an ongoing weekly basis while these uh, spider crabs come in because we usually expect them. I think it's the first full moon of June as Malweb. The strawberry moon. The strawberry moon. We expect them soon in the strawberry moon. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Um, hopefully we'll catch up with you next yeah. week. For sure, yeah, yeah. Happy to come on anytime. Beautiful. Thanks, Elodie. We'll speak with you soon. Cheers. Bye for now. Dr. Elodie Campress from Deakin University. Amazing stuff, Dr. Beach. It is. It's really good that Deakin's um, picked this up and is is running with this and they've got cameras out and they're monitoring it. And, yeah, really nice to have Elodie on every couple of weeks. Yeah, wonderful. Um, Today we're very excited to have a couple of third-year students from Deakin University joining us in the studio today. We have... um, Amber, and we have also Sean. So, hi, guys. Hi. Hello. Thanks for having us. (laughs) Can I start with a question, Dr. Beach? You can start with a question. You can probably tell the audience what they're here for, what they're going to talk about. (laughs) Well, we're going to be talking about the impact of uh, flooding on marine ecosystems. I'm wondering why you two chose this subject. Uh, Well, whenever the recent East Coast floods are mentioned, the first things we probably think about are, you know, the people we lost, the people injured, the immense water damage and the disruption to normal lifestyle. But, you know, all those impacts are awful, but the things that we don't think about are the impacts on the marine life. And from a biological standpoint, that's also super interesting to us. So, yeah, we thought that would be, um, it's a bit of an intriguing topic to dive into and talk about here today. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's, I mean, that images we saw on the television sean and amber and, and bron you know, the, the, the impacts on the people in northern new south wales and queensland just um, unbelievable I just can't imagine being there like that and, and you know hearts go out to all of those people but it's all that really filthy water for example we saw coming down the tweed river that heading out onto the out into the beaches it's just you know it's it's, it's pretty gross yeah, the water is quite disgusting and no one can enter the water for weeks after the flooding has actually occurred. And that includes the swimmers, the lifeguards, and even tourism is heavily impacted as well. And it also is bad for the scientists that have to go out and collect phytoplankton. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And was just referring to um, us collecting phytoplankton a couple of weeks ago down in Warrnambool, where it was, conditions were not like that at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, There's so much gross stuff in the water. And, you know, if it's that bad for all the organisms out there, uh, sorry, if it's that bad for us, then how bad do you think it is for all the organisms out there who don't get a choice in the matter? And, you know, we can go home for the day, but they're stuck out there living in that water, nothing to do about it with all that gross stuff in there. And so uh, that's what we're going to talk about. And I want to take you on a bit of a journey Imagine you're a fish, let's say a barracuda, living in an estuary off the coast of Brisbane. And the water here is great for you. It's a great temperature. It's a nice mix of the freshwater upstream and the salty seawater. Perfect for your specific adaptations. So now there's a major flooding event that's come straight for your home. And after the heavy rainfall, there's so much turbulence in the water and the sediments from the upstream has come into the water and it's made it very cloudy. You can't see, you can't find food to eat. And 
superficial, like end up on land due to the turbulence, which obviously isn't very good. Obviously, and on top of that, you've got all this fresh water coming down, so it's in, you know, decreasing the salinity of the estuary. How, you know, that must be bad for my physiology. Yeah, so every different aquatic life has preferred salinity. And for you as a barracuda, that brackish water was just perfect for you. So now you're swimming in fresh water and it puts a lot of stress on your gills. And the gills are there to actually regulate the salt intake. So obviously they're not very good conditions. But as the flooding does continue, like new species come into your home, everybody gets really scared and they're struggling with the change of environment. And there's only so much resources as food, shelter and oxygen. So not everyone can survive like this. Can I ask you about the stuff that's actually in the water? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the water's absolutely disgusting. There are feces everywhere from overflowing sewerage. There are herbicides, insecticides and fertilizers from farmland. Um, other stuff like construction materials, often carrying chemicals like chromium and silica. Um, sometimes even asbestos if the structural damage in cities was really bad, certain buildings. Uh, so yeah, all this stuff, and it's really not great for your liver, which is trying to filter out all that stuff so that you don't die. <laughs> That's right. And on top of that, there's all the like infrastructure, cars, caravans, bits of buildings, all of that, which is being washed out into the sea. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so all this stuff out there and the fish just have to deal with it. And, you know, that's kind of what they're looking at after major flooding events. What about uh, other things like fertilizers, for example, that will end up in the estuary during floods? Yeah, like the nutrient kind of side of things. Yeah. yeah th so that's super interesting. And um, what we often see is when a lot of nutrients are input into a system, something called eutrophication takes place. And that's when the overall productivity of a ecosystem uh, rises and we see an explosive growth of phytoplankton. Because there, there's more nutrients in there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And these phytoplankton are primary producers for many an ecosystem, converting the sun's rays into energy that other organisms can then consume and that all goes around the food web. Obviously super important um, up to a certain point. And these major flooding events often push it past that point and then we see algal blooms, which are pretty devastating for a lot of systems, blocking off light for the things below, like seagrasses and corals. Yeah, and then that has flow-on effects, you know, so to fish it might use the, you know, those seagrasses and the coral for shelter, all of those things. Yeah, exactly. And so the eutrophication you mentioned, is that only in estuaries? So what are the effects of that in the near shore areas as you get out into the ocean itself? Yeah, well, well it, it can really happen in, like, many bodies of water, even out from the shore, but... Um, that's often with macroalgae instead of phytoplankton, and the effects are definitely most pronounced in estuaries. And the interesting, for, the reason for that is actually quite interesting. Um, it's because if you imagine all this sediment getting washed into the floodwaters, I'm going getting a really good mental image of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we already know what that looks like. Um, but especially if there's not a lot of vegetation on the uh, by the catchments and the rivers. Anyway, the sediments get washed down and. As soon as they touch the water, they release a big burst of nutrients, uh, nutrients on them, such as nitrogen yeah, and phosphorus. Yeah. Um, and then gradually, as they flow downstream with the floodwaters, they're gradually leaching off that stuff into the water. But then something super interesting happens, and when it hits the salt water, that salinity in the water actually causes another burst of nutrients. And so if you imagine in an estuary where the fresh water is meeting the, the salt water, all that bursting of nutrients is coming out, and so those effects are most pronounced in the areas around wow, estuaries and just that. off the shore. Yeah. What, so, 
initial dissolution in the freshwater and then once it hits the marine environment once the salting concentration increases that releases even more yeah exactly wow yeah super fascinating so uh, so it sounds like there's massive flooding events of like really bad news but surely there must be some positives uh yeah there are some positives that we found um in the life cycle of some species like eels and prawns um they mature in fresh water so when with the floods Oh, but they go to the ocean to reproduce, sorry. And, but with the floods, they help them get out of the freshwater and go back to the ocean. Um, there's also another positive for the East Coast um, market. After a good wet season, like with the floods, they actually produce a lot more, they catch a lot more brown tiger prawns. Yeah, the prawns get washed out. Don't yeah, they? yeah. And there was also a thesis done by Caitlin O'Mara from Griffith University. She studied or she looked at the floods that followed Cyclone Debbie in 2017 and how that um, impacted brown tiger prawns. Um, she caught brown tiger prawns where Logan River meets Morden Bay and she measured the prawns and she found that they had overall better physiology. Their length-length ratios were better and their muscle lipid content had improved. Um, and then seven weeks after, she looked at them again and they returned back to normal and they concluded that it was due to the nutrient pollution causing explosive phytoplankton growth. Cool. So that yeah. So that yeah. So there's something I hadn't considered before. But you've listed some of the benefits. But back on the negative end of things, do these flooded ecosystems ever recover? What kind of long-term impacts are there? Yeah. So eventually they do recover, but obviously it depends on the extent of the flooding. Um, some of them take more time. But there was a study in Germany in 2005 where they looked at the livers of flounders um, that were in the Elbe River in Europe. And the detoxification ability of the livers were actually impaired due to the exposure of flood pollutants. But they looked at them again five months after and they found that they began to repair. So they pretty much just concluded that the nutrient and sediment pollution is probably the most long-term impact on an ecosystem and can last for months or even years. Wow. So is there anything that we can do as humans to like you know obviously i'm thinking that flooding we've got the el ninos and we know that we're getting flooding events with the el ninos um long term listeners to this program and we here realize that with climate change we're going to have more unpredictability we're going to have more flooding potentially in the future but is there something aside from flying less and burning less coal that we can do to to mitigate yeah the effects well, of these floods you know i, I wish we can control the weather but <laughs> a, a short of that Stuff well, we like, can in a little way, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, short of that, you know, the obvious, stop littering so much because everything we put out there is uh, going to be flowing out in the floods unless we pick it up. Um, other stuff like better infrastructure in these city areas or even the regional areas that get flooded. Um, and the third thing we might not think much about is we need to stop disturbing the vegetation around catchments and waterways because... As you disturb that riparian vegetation, yeah. that that's actually holding a lot of soil in, which is holding those nutrients that cause eutrophication downstream. So when you disturb the vegetation, all that soil erodes and gets into the water. And if you do that, then you know it can have profound consequences on the ecosystems downstream just because of that extra nutrient input. Fascinating topic. Thank you very much, Amber and Sean, for coming in and sharing this with us today. Um, Amber. 
Murray and Sean Burnicle from Deakin University have been talking to us about um, impacts of flooding on the marine environment. Yeah, thanks a lot for having us. Yeah, thanks again. Some science, Dr. Yeah, a little bit of science in the few minutes we got left. I mentioned at the start of the show, um, oxybenzone is a common ingredient in sunscreens. Mm. And it has been... um, We've been some really interesting papers over the last decade or so, particularly ones... um, there was a paper which is from the US Virgin Islands which showed that the, in t- the concentration of oxybenzone in one bay where they had you know, lots of people, lots of tourists there, sunscreen on, sloughing off into the water, all of that. The corals there were really, really in poor health. They had the perfect experiment where around the corner where there weren't so many people swimming, corals were happy. The only difference was the concentration of sunscreen in the water and for various different reasons. They really, they, we think that it's oxybenzone which is stuffing up the corals killing the corals, um, interfering with their endocrine system, that is their hormones, all of that. But why is this doing it? Um, a group at Stanford University have just published a paper in Science, well, it was a couple of years ago, uh, a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago, actually, showing that cnidarians, so corals, cnidarians is an old word for them, but the whole family thing, anemones, corals, those things, they, they looked at one anemone in the um, laboratory and also a species of coral, mushroom coral in the laboratory, put the oxybenzone in with them um, and then subjected these guys to UV light and they found that it was the coral and the anemone itself that converted oxybenzone, which is indeed something which is sun protective and blocks out UV light. But these organisms convert that, they add another group to it, um, another chemical group to it and convert it into um, oxybenzone benzoate, I think it is. I forget what the other one is. But this actually makes it toxic. Right. So they themselves are converting this molecule into something which is now phototoxic. So you can even do the experiment where you've got the sunscreen and the anemone or the coral in the tank. But if you don't have UV light, everything's happy. So it's only when you switch UV light onto it in the presence of these organisms that they switch it into something which is phototoxic. Even more interesting... um, is that, well, perhaps not even more interesting, but a very fascinating add-on to this is that we're all aware that corals have an algal endosymbiont in them, so a little algal partner that does photosynthesis contributes those goodies to the coral, um, and so do anemones um, sometimes have that as well. They showed in this in this experiment that if you had um, less... Well, actually, no, what they did show was that the algal endosymbionts were better at protecting or stopping this conversion of oxybenzone to something else. Ah. So that if you ha- so they are the presence of them is decreasing this effect. In other words, if you have a bleached coral, which is what we have in increasing elevated temperatures, then they are much, much, much more susceptible to the death effects of yeah, like, these bad effect because they're weakened. Yep. Because they don't have it. Very interesting paper. Um, oxy uh, these sunscreen products, um, the um, Oxybenzones have been banned at the moment. They're trying to get legislation in Hawaii to get them banned. Um, not happening here yet. Um, and there are products that you can go out there and buy, which don't, sunscreen products, effective sunscreen products, mostly the zinc-based ones, which don't have this this nasty thing in there. But but 
yeah, really interesting data coming out of um, Stanford and published in Science this week. Yeah, Farms talked about um, alternative sunscreens. We, when Farms on next, we, sh- we should ask her about those too because there are some sunscreens out there that don't have that particular chemical in it that does turn out to be toxic. Such a huge range of research that just explodes out of these sorts of experiments, Dr Beach. Oh, yeah, you can imagine. Yeah, the work that now will be done following up from this will be really, really fascinating and particularly around the algal endosymbiont side of yeah, things. Yeah, they're types of algal symbionts that maybe have a more protective... Yeah. Yeah, anyway. And these algal symbionts are unicellular algae, phytoplankton, which brings me to the next paper. So um, in corals, you have a type of unicellular phytoplankton, which is called a dinoflagellate usually. There's, another, there's many other groups. The diversity of phytoplankton in the ocean is just amazing. All sorts of colours to them. They do this fantastic work of doing photosynthesis, therefore giving us oxygen, sucking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. About half or just under half of the phytoplankton of these things called diatoms. Diatoms have silica frustules on them, glass shells. We know with increasing acidification of the ocean now, um, through this modelling, this modelling paper which has just appeared in Nature, that as the diatom shells um, decrease dead diatoms, and they do die as they go down through the water column, that the silica on the outside, their glass shells, doesn't dissolve um, as readily. So normally it dissolves in the medium water column, so then it can be circled back up, make more fire, make more diatoms, but now it's going down to the deep ocean, so it can't be circled back up to the surface to make more baby diatoms. Diatoms look like they're in trouble. This predicts that in 100 years we're going to have 20 or 25% less diatoms, which is bad news. <laughs> sorry, to, sorry, to leave, sorry to Dr. leave you Beach. on that. Sorry to leave you on that. We'll pick but, that one up uh, we'll more. We'll pick that one up later on. We will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That does bring us to the end of Radio Marinara for today. Many thanks to our guests, to Sean and Amber, Dr. Elodie Campress, and to Rachel Parker. Thanks to you, Dr. Beach. And also to um, Sean Burnicle and to Amber Burry from Deakin University. And uh, thanks also to Rachel, who's been panelling for us today. Kent, who'll have this program up as a podcast very shortly. Uh, and on next week's program, Anthony and Kate will be in. It will be be World Environment Day next Sunday so Anthony, Kate and I will all be in. We'll be speaking with Neil Blake about uh, some bay keeping stuff uh, this turtle as well in the bay, seal spotters 2022 and ancient Bryzone reefs in Western Port so already a massive program planned for next week. Have a great Sunday. Bye for now. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.